you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando, episode 70. Epi- 70 episodes of talking about Guns N' Roses, talking to so many different people around the world from all different types of uh, walks of life, uh, different religions, different uh, first languages. It's just absolutely incredible. Uh, and one of the people that I have gotten to meet over the, these uh, first 70 episodes, uh, Mr. M- uh, Squires, uh, Mike Squires from Duff McCake is Loaded, of course, uh, the creator of our theme music, uh, Squires and Rouse going to be at least for one show back with uh, Duff McCake is Loaded in September for a charity event. And I did talk to both of them off the air. I think we can get both of them on the same show at the same time if we can handle it, Squires and Rouse on the AFD show at the same time. We'll see what happens. Uh, but that is then. This is now, because I have been waiting to talk to our, our guest today for, for quite some time. You may not know who he is, but I think you should. And you know what? I'm not even going to act cool. Tommy, I didn't know who you were at first. And you even said when I first called you, Tommy Hollenstein, who's on the phone with us. You're like, how do you... How do you know me? Even though you're kind of famous, but I guess you were surprised that, you know, somebody reached out to you, I guess, maybe in my medium, uh, you know, as far as who you are. But uh, we're going to get deeply into your story. Well, first of all, you can say hi, Tommy. I always start everything so awkward. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I start start everything so awkward. Uh, Tommy's out in, uh, in Los Angeles, right? Yes, sir. All right, cool. So we're going to get into into Tommy's uh, story, uh, how I, I found him uh, through Instagram, uh, which is pretty cool. But, uh, Tommy, to make things even more awkward for you for your first uh, AFD experience, I like to start the show off with a, like a news segment. But obviously, since this is a you know Guns N' Roses rock podcast, uh, we make it Guns N' Roses feature if that's a word, and I have sound bites. Uh, so this one is called Shotgun News. Shotgun news. I hope I didn't scare you off just yet, Tommy. Not at all. <laughs> so you can uh, join in, because I'm sure you've heard of uh, some of these things that I'll, I'll, I'll bring up. And, of course, uh, Shotgun News is presented by AlternativeNation.net. Uh, first, I don't know if you ever came across uh, this person, because I, th- I think he lives in L- out in L.A. now, uh, Jimmy Ashurst. From uh, Izzy Stradland in the Juju Hounds, uh, he was our, our last uh, guest, episode sixty nine. And if you missed it, I'll just quote uh, Downliner from mygnrforum.com. He said, "It's the best podcast I've heard this year, and to listen to a lot of This American Life and Radio Lab. Great questions with honest answers. Good job, Brando. So thank you, nice. Downliner. Hopefully, uh, I can up the ante with with Tommy here. I think we're getting some really cool discussions." Um, Tommy, I know you go to a lot of uh, concerts and you're a huge rock fan. Were you a fan of, uh, I mean, I guess that's the answer. I already know the answer is going to be yes, but how big of a fan of you, of Pantera, were you? Pretty good size. I'm just, I mean, I like all kinds of rock. I mean, since I was a kid. Yeah. Well, right. 
before I guess because I want to get into like because I know you want to be I guess I'll slowly reveal it. I don't know why I'm being so obnoxious about it, but uh, like it's a secret. Like there's no uh, no such thing as the internet. Uh, but Tommy is a, an American abstract impressionist painter, but you always wanted to be an artist when you were young. But I know the rock world has mixed in with that, so I didn't know how. You know, if you were a metal kid, if you were just like a blues rock kid, if you were like a top 40 kid, I always kind of get that sense from every person I interview, whether they're a musician or whether they're, you know, an artist, a painter, just like you. Because it's, we're all brought together by somehow, at least on this podcast, we're all brought together by by Guns N' Roses. But uh, you may have heard that uh, Vinnie Paul unfortunately passed away. Uh, as we're recording this, I also try to do this in, in real time. So it's uh, Thursday, June 28th. So he passed away almost a week ago. Only 54 years old. Uh, died in his sleep in his home in Las Vegas. No official you know, cause other than, a, quote, a major heart attack. But uh, the point being is that it's still very sad and uh, how it ties into the Guns N' Roses world, both uh, Slash and Duff uh, tweeted out their their love and respect for, for Vinny and, and, uh, and his family. And also, I thought this was interesting, uh, Tommy. I don't know if you're morbid like me. Sometimes I think about what my funeral is going to be like, you know, what my friends would say about me. And that certainly happened in my... I mean, I live a life of depression, but like my really hardcore depression days of just... Who would come to my funeral? What would be, what would what would it be like? So as uh, before, right, literally right before we started recording, it's official that Vinnie Paul will be buried just like his brother Dime in a kiss casket. But he did say uh, in an interview with a friend of the show, Meltdown from uh, from what was it WRIF in, in Detroit, uh, that he if, it, if there is any music to be played at uh, his funeral. He would want it to be Guns N' Roses. Quote saying, I really want to choose an album that was a good, uh, a goddamn good time, like Guns N' Fucking Roses. I want people to celebrate what we've done and the fact that we had a great life. I wouldn't want my, my funeral to be a sad, sappy thing. I'd have the whole album, but Paradise City and Welcome to the Jungle give off a positive vibe. So I thought that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. And uh, I believe as I post this, and this is where I guess I'll segue to you, Tommy, because I don't know if you're... You know, what you're investing, if you can trade one of your paintings with Slash for one of these box sets, uh, The bo- as we were posting this, the, the box set is uh, officially out. The the $1,000 box set, but I also thought it was pretty funny that GNR Central reported that there is a payment plan. I think I think like 88 bucks a month uh, for the different increments if you want to be able to afford it. So as we segue into our, our guest today, uh, that's the end of our Shaka News, uh, Tommy Hollinston. Colin Stein, forgive me. Uh, do we? Do you? Did you get the box set, or are you? Or do you, like? What are your opinions on it? It is so fun. I mean, you know what? I, I, I've been up and down on the box set. I, I think yeah, it's a crazy price, but um, it's funny you ask about that. I'm I'm ordering mine today. I sent t- slash a text this morning saying, "Hey, I'm gonna be ordering my box set sometime this afternoon." <laughs> it was funny because I had not seen a payment plan. On the, on the website for quite a while. And also I saw the payment plan. I kind of laughed. I thought, wow, I guess maybe it's not quite going as well as they were hoping maybe. And they've got that payment plan. It's, it's, a, it's a huge price, but the thing that also turns me on about it is, uh, is all the lithographs by Robert Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert John? Those are some, those are some limited edition um, by Robert Williams, the artist. Right. And, uh, amazing artist. And, uh, those lithographs will be worth something in, in and of themselves. 
for sure, just because of the limited edition of that. But it's, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big GNR fan. I, you know, I'm, I'm a good friend of Slash, good friends with Steven. I don't know. So I, I, I want to invest in their future as well as they invest in mine when they purchase art. Ah, okay. Because I was going to ask you. You can be honest, because it's just it's just me and you here. It wasn't like, hey, Slash, I'm I'm buying this. Did you want one of those uh, those uh, texts back saying, no, no, don't press, you know, accept with the credit card yet. I got you. You weren't, you know, you were just letting him know that you were getting it and no, do- donating to the no, cause. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You know, hopefully he'll sign it down the road. Right on. Okay. Other than that, no, I, I wouldn't expect him to give me a box set. Absolutely not. You know. No, I just. Always gracious enough to hook me up at concerts. He doesn't have to do that, you know. I just, you know, I just, you know, I, a lot of times I'll purchase tickets and I'll, I'll let him know and then say, hey, if there's any chance you can hook me up backstage. And then I'll show up there and there'll be a set of tickets waiting with the backstage pass, even though I've got tickets sometimes. Oh, wow. He's very, very, very generous with me and been a very dear friend and good guy. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, you know, now that you and I have connected on Facebook, but you also will share on your Instagram, which of course shows your art, which we're going to get into. But it has some very not just like a stock photo, like hey, hey, I just met Slash. Here's me and Slash, or here's me and Stephen. And you can see, you know, maybe they have a smile, but they're capturing you in like a friend moment. So that's cool. That as I I, I found out about you, and that's how I guess how this ties in together um, through Instagram. And since I've started this podcast, you know, it's kind of like a weird uh, invasion of privacy feature that a lot of these things have with Twitter or Facebook and Instagram that you can see what other people like, whether it's a page or another post. I mean, it's a little creepy, but I guess it's the way the world works now. So I kind of enjoy, you know, on Twitter, I see slash like a lot of uh, dinosaur facts, uh, stuff about horror movies, uh, saving the, yeah. the the planet or animals. But on Instagram, I kept seeing him like this person, uh, Tommy Hollenstein. I'm like, who is this? Because Slash is going to, you know, <laughs> t- take time to, you know, he, I love following him on Instagram also because I don't know how he, <laughs> he hasn't gotten kicked off with some of the things that he posts, uh, how risque it may be, but uh, just seeing who he likes. So I started looking at your page, Tommy, and uh, I mean, first and foremost, I got to, I mean, I, I don't think I'll have the right words because I wish, because I've been to, in here in New York City, I've been to the Museum of Modern Art. You know, I love art. I just don't have that natural ability and, and affinity towards, I need somebody with me. And I've gone on like dates with girls who have taught me more about this is impressionist, this is, you know, different kinds, but I've always loved and appreciated it. Uh, but you have some amazing art. But what really stuck out to me and this is, of course, you know, this is all starting again with the, the six degrees of G and R bacon uh, was the kind of art, kind of art and how you did it. And I forget of how much I got into you with our first discussion a couple months ago when I first reached out to you. And I know we get different listeners each time on the show. So I know some listeners know about my handicap. Some don't. So just a little bit of a refresher and why someone like you, other than oh, he's friends with Slash and he makes his awesome art. He's cool. It's it's a certain personal thing with me that see somebody with a physical disability excel and and sort of in this world that I'm in too, this rock and roll world and what you're doing with it. Uh, so, and, and that's how I felt about uh, Raz Q. I don't know if you're familiar. The former 
uh, manager of of L.A. Guns, and he's put some books out, The Days of Guns and Razzes. You got Axel to be the first lead singer of L.A. Guns, but he's in a wheelchair as well. And he had a swimming accident when he was 15, and the cover of his book was like a combination of handicap logos and Guns N' Roses motifs. So that's, I'm like, more again, with you, more than just the GNR stuff I was drawn in because I'm handicapped. So I have a neurological disability called demyelinating peripheral neuropathy. Uh, what that means in English is that there is something missing in the nerves, so the message from the brain slowly gets there, and that in turn affects the muscle, making it weaker. It's just not being used properly. Um, and no, I've had it since birth, I guess, although the effects really didn't start until when I was around 10, when I came home limping out of nowhere. Uh, it's not, uh, from, according to the doctors, not hereditary. I've been to the Mayo Clinic. I've been to Columbia, you know, for, for many years. Uh, it's just one of those anomalies. Again, no physical pain. Uh, I wear leg braces. I have a cane. Uh, so seeing your story, and, and I've just struggled with my disability, and, and even with just with radio, certain things I can and can't do. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of, I guess wanted to set that scene a little bit. So when we discuss your story, and, and as we kick off here with you, uh, just to kind of why I'm even more intrigued to talk to you and the success you've been able, and the heights you've been able to, to reach, um, you know, throughout your your career, despite what some people may call you or me limited, you know? Right. So, so Tommy, if we can, I guess, now start, because I've been talking way too much at the beginning of this, and this is all about <laughs> you. Uh, so you're initially from L.A., correct? I am, yes. Yeah, so I was born in Hollywood, Hollywood and raised in the San Fernando Valley. Spent most of my time there. Then I lived in Malibu for a little bit and moved to Newport Beach for a couple of years. Back to Malibu, to L.A., back to Valley. So, uh, what kind? Of, like, what were you doing? Like, what kind of kid were you? Because uh, now, you know, of course, you're an impressionist painter who's uh, and something else that we're going to lead to. Maybe like how you discovered that. Uh, Tommy uses his wheelchair wheels to paint, which is just incredible. And, and just the amount of work that you're doing, and, and, and some of the people who who buy your paintings, uh, you know, Slash being one of them. Uh, Elton John, Ringo. I mean, this is just not that you've just found an outlet for you with something that's happened. You've cr found your passion. So was this a passion pre, and it was from an accident, correct, your, your, your handicap? Correct. Yes, it was. it was. It was a mountain biking accident on March 10th, 1985. It's kind of a freak accident. I was out mountain biking, um, cutting across some dirt lots, construction lots to use as a shortcut to get to a road to go to a friend's house. And so there's a couple uh, dirt lots, a couple slopes. So went across the dirt lot, down a slope, dirt lot, slope. Approached what was a third slope like two weeks prior, and the contractor dug it down about five and a half feet straight down, four feet out, two feet up, to put a retaining wall. So once I approached what should have been a slope, was not a slope. It was straight down, and I, I went straight down, landed on my head, and, and broke my neck. And then... I mean, it, it, the moment I saw that the slope wasn't there, I thought to myself, oh, my God, what's this doing here? This is going to be a bad accident. Hmm. And all of a sudden, I hit my head, sound like a metal rod hitting the ground, like boing. And I uh, I mean, I literally saw myself in that ditch. Go, I was up in the clouds going farther and farther away from my body. I thought, oh, my God, I'm 
I'm dead. This is my time to go. It's over. Wow. And I remember just saying a quick prayer, just saying, like, God, please don't take me now. Give me another chance. As soon as I said that little prayer, I came right back into my body. I was laying there completely motionless, had no idea where my legs were, couldn't tell where my legs were. I was face down. I could see my wrist laying limp, and I could only shrug my shoulders. That's the only movement I had. I thought, wow, okay, I'm still alive now, but I'm still going to die because I'm paralyzed, and my lungs are going to fill with fluid because I know a lot of times that's what happens when you break your neck. If you, mm. if you wait long enough, your lungs are full of fluid. Luckily, I said, okay, God, let me be able to breathe. Whatever happens from here, I can handle Luckily, I was with a friend. He was about 20 yards behind me. So when he approached me, I said, hey, David, don't move me. I broke my neck. I'm paralyzed. Nah, nah, you broke your collarbone. Nah, I said, man, don't move me. Go hike up to a house and call the paramedics. Called my parents' house. And he did both, called them both. And my mother showed up before the paramedics did. And then the paramedics showed up, and then they asked me what I could feel, what I couldn't. And they figured it would be safer to fly me out of there than to try to drive me. It would be less traumatic, they thought. But, I mean, I felt every vibration in that helicopter flying to Northridge Hospital. Probably about a 15-minute flight. And, uh, and then they, you know, I was taken into the intensive care. I mean, they thought I'd never make it through the night. They told my family, hey, call his brothers and sisters. Oh, and wow. goodbye. He'll never make it through the night. So they also refused the tracheotomy. They want to put a trachea in me because I, you know, for the level of injury. And I remember them cutting my clothes off and putting the, the, the screws in the side of my head to put me in distraction, which I was in traction from Sunday till the following Saturday. That Saturday, they put me into what they call a halo. And I spent the 19, next 19 days in intensive care and six months in the rehab hospital. So, yeah, it was pretty, pretty traumatic for quite a while. And how old were you in, uh, in 1985? I was 24, 24 at the time. Thank God I was in good shape. You know, I had just been mountain biking almost every day for about the last year. The mountain biking was just coming into pass. There was only really two companies making the bikes, and at that time, Stump Jumper and Schwinn. And I had, I had the, uh, the high, Sierra, high Sierra Schwinn. And I was, you know, I was hoping to get back into to racing because I used to BMX bike race when I was a kid. You asked okay. what I was like as a kid. I, right. I was a wild kid. I mean, I just, I, you know. I grew up in, in the valley where it was pretty secluded. We was just, you know, the, the houses were newer out here. There was still a lot of construction going on. So there, were, there was a lot of places we had set up, like BMX bike tracks. So I was, you know, building all my own bikes from scratch, uh, putting them together, taking bikes down to Midas Muffler. If I needed something welded, they would be the local place who would weld something like a crossbar. This is before the, the, the handlebars even had crossbars. You know, only crossbars were on motorcycles, but... So we were making our own crossbars, customizing our own frames, and and then racing on Saturdays over at the, um, at the Chatsworth Park South, which the Devonshire to be the division the police department would put races on a couple times a month. And so I was doing that, doing that, and doing, then I got into I was really into skateboarding. And then once I turned about uh, eighth grade, I started surfing, got into surfing, and that was my next passion, my next love, and uh, just really loved the outdoors. Hmm. So, uh, so it was that was the path because at twenty four, that's when you're. I mean, at that, I guess at that time, college or not, that's when your career is supposed to be starting. Is that what you right. wanted to do? You were like whatever uh, action sport. Would that that was the plan? No, I was actually I was, at the time I was going to school. I'd already finished college, or I had gone to Orange Coast College for. I really wanted to be an artist, but and I used to always do something creatively with my hands. Like I said, building the bikes was artistic, painting the bikes was artistic, just doing something creatively with my hands. But I knew my parents would never pay for art school. My father was in the restaurant business, along with my mother, they owned a restaurant together, and uh, it's a pretty success, successful restaurant out in Calabasas. 
and it was a um, uh, you know steak and lobster house. So I said, you know, if I go to Orange Coast College, I'll take restaurant school. There's a two-year AA program they had down there. One is down by Newport Beach. I'm in a great area where I could surf every morning, go to school, kill two birds with one stone, and then get creative in, you know, with uh, with food art. And that's what I did. I used to do the craft culinary challenge. I would do garde work, really fancy food work, stuff like that, still doing something by hand. And then I was planning with me to come back and then, you know, manage my father's restaurant, maybe take it over. So I came back and after Orange Coast College, worked for six months, and then I went back to Pepperdine for business school. And I, I was surfing on this team at, uh, for Pep, with Pepperdine, stayed three semesters, and thought, ah, I really don't really need school anymore. So I dropped out of school and went to work. And then uh, I came to a place called, you know, it's really kind of also thinking about you know, private being a private investigator, but I didn't know there was a school for it. And I found a school called Nick Harris Detective Academy out in the valley here. It's only a nine-month program. So I signed up for that. And at the time I broke my neck, I, I had one day left of class to, to finish. I broke my neck on a Sunday. My final day of school would have been that Tuesday. Hmm. Um, after I completed the six months in the hospital stay, I, they, uh, they had a mock murder case at a park and part of the graduation ceremony. So I graduated with my class and everything and uh, proceeded on to do that for about a six-month period. But it just wasn't. You know, I was in a wheelchair just doing missing persons and asset research. So I was stuck behind a desk. I was freshly out of the hospital. I was The disability was new to me. You know, although I got offered the job, it just was not what I signed up for. You know, I, sure. I wanted to get out there and do some high-tech stuff. So I just, I, at that point, I quit, the, quit working for, as a detective or doing my hours working for a, a company and just uh, focused on physical therapy. And I got turned on to water skiing. The summer after my accident, uh, broke my neck in 85, the summer of 86, I was invited to go down once a week down to San Diego to water ski, to learn how to water ski. They had a disabled water ski class down there. It was really for paraplegics, and I'm a quadriplegic. I told them I could swim, but I really couldn't just to get into the class. Well, they saw me nearly drown. I thought you could swim. I said, well, I thought I could too. But So they modified things, and they just put a diver in. I had a little chase pool behind me. But it got me back into the water, which was really important for me because then I started designing new water, a water ski for quadriplegics. The water ski I had had no backrest. The rope was attached to the cage, to the, to the front of the nose of the ski. Mm. It just wasn't buoyant. So next thing I know, I approached a, a surfer uh, the, uh, manufacturer, a guy named Lance Collins, with Wave Tool, Wave Tool Surfboards, which is down in Newport Beach. I could never afford one of his boards when I was surfing, but... I approached him, told him what I wanted to do, and he helped me design a water ski out of a surfboard. So now is it being in there creatively, helping design the graphics and stuff like that while he designed the board. And then I redesigned the cage of the ski that I was sitting in, modified it so the rope of the ski would be, the rope from the, for the ski would no longer be attached to the nose, but attached to the ski. So at least I was able to get back into the water on a surfboard and a water ski, replacing my need to be back in the water surfing. Um, They'll be in a creative, in an artsy way, you know, helping with the, just doing some design for the graphics. See, I'm I'm amazed that, you know, again, I, that's why I preface everything with like how I like what I am and how I look at it, and and because not everyone is going to be like you, where they're just kind of like back out there, back doing it. You know, my disability started when I was around 
10, even though I was supposedly born with it. I guess it really didn't show itself until I was around 10. And that's a, that's a certain age to kind of process, you know, why am I not walking well? Why am I limping? You know, why can't I, why am I getting exhausted? You know, for you at, at 24, just to have that, you know, light shut off, for so to speak. Right. How, like, is it... What was in you? Like, is it your upbringing that you were just like, I, I got, I can't let this slow me down? Because for me, I still have the use of, you know, I still have the use of everything. It's just, I just use it differently, I suppose, or I have to figure out what's the best way to use it for me. I, right. you know, I, I, like, what, what is it about you that you had this instinct to just, it's, it sounds like you just really didn't skip a beat. That's what it sounds like. You know, luckily, one, my accident was a freak accident. And it was not drug-induced. It wasn't uh, somebody wasn't. I didn't get hit by a drunk driver because I was in the hospital with 13 other people with spinal cord injuries. One girl was in a car driving back. Actually, a girl that I knew. We all both went to Pepperdine together. See, they were coming back down the Pacific Coast Highway to getting ready to start a new semester. And the girl she was driving with fell asleep at the wheel. So she was angry that at the girl for falling asleep. Uh, one of my roommates was. He was 18, high school graduation night, jumped in the car with a drunk driver. That guy hit a, uh, a palm tree. His neck slammed forward. He broke his neck. A 13-year-old boy was there. His friends thought it would be funny if they loosened the front wheel on his bicycle. The wheel fell off. He broke his neck. Jesus. So everybody was kind of angry at somebody, and another guy was drunk, and he dove into the shallow end of a pool. Another guy was on drugs, nodded out on heroin for 18 hours, woke up because of the position of his neck, it's cut the circulation off to his spinal cord, woke up paralyzed. So being with all these different variety of people and seeing what they're going through, but mine was a freak accident. Thank God I was not going extreme that day. Now, if I was going extreme, like jumping something crazy or doing something nuts, I'd be going, wow, maybe I shouldn't have gone so hard. But I wasn't. Thank God it was just a casual Sunday ride. I was using it as a shortcut. So I was no longer, wasn't angry at myself or anybody. And I'm in my competitive side. Like I said, I used to skate competitively on a skateboard, mm-hmm. BMX competitively. I played soccer. I was a goalie in high school. I, I surfed competitively. So I think the competitive side of me was kind of competing with others in the hospital also to just strive to get better at a rapid rate. You know, to try to see, all right, let me see where I, where my balance point is. So let me see. You know, I mean, I was sick every day in that hospital, but I would force myself to go to therapies, 13 therapies a day, just. I knew I wouldn't get better laying in the bed. And I, and I also didn't want to quite believe the doctors. And my faith in God also thought, hey, you know what? Mm. Well, you know, I really trust God. I'm going to, you know, strive forward here and get not a complete healing, more than the doctors expect me for my level of injury, in which I have. I've got more function at a, high, at a lower level than my neck. I broke my neck at C4-5, and I function more at, a, at like a C6 or 7. So I've got some of that mobility that I should not have for my level of injury. And I, I really believe that would not have come if I didn't work at it and, and go after it, you know. I mean, and every little thing I was doing, even the water skiing. And, you know, I've got, I got a service dog two years after my accident. That was a game changer, mm. you know. And that's, that's actually how I got into the art. As the dog was getting older and older, I kept thinking, you know, one day I'm going to roll through a puddle of paint. Cause I used to play and water puddles of paint with my wheelchair and do designs on the ground. Mm-hmm. Not thinking about using my chair as a, as a means for painting, but I kept thinking as my dog gets old, I, I want to roll through a puddle of paint one day, have the dog walk through another color of puddle of paint at the same time. We'll go across the board together. 
I'll hang that on my wall and look at the tire tracks and paw prints and say, hey, God, remember the time we mm. went to San Diego together to learn how to serve? Mm. Remember the time we went to the Angels game for the World Series, Game 7? Remember when we saw Gretzky hit his 800-second goal? We were both together. That dog helped me get my first job working for Science Diet Dog Food as a marketing rep. You know, so it's all those things would be a good reminder of what that dog did for me. So sure. I did two paintings that way, and that's when I realized, hey, wait a minute, the light bulb kind of came on, like, all right, God, you're kind of using my dog to get me back into painting. I could use the actual tires of my chair and not see the chair as a negative, but as a positive for my future. So yeah, no, it turned everything around for me. I like that. See, another thing I think of, like, I had to adjust. You know, at first I had the left leg brace, and then it was a couple of years before I had the, the right leg brace. And I only started using the cane a few years ago, but with each attachment, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, attribute, uh, I've right. always had to adjust and learn. So I, I know you already had been in the wheelchair. Uh, so how does that translate into painting? Because I'm reading like how meticulous you are, because it's not like you're just, you know, driving over a canvas, you're going back and forth. And like, how do you, how do you perfect that? How do you know what, what, like what's like where to go what to look for it's not like you're you're standing back and like looking at your hand you're like how do you visualize it before you start going before you start physically going and and, and rolling over the, just, the canvas you know it just depends on the canvas on, on, on what i'm trying to achieve i mean some of them are very very abstract some are you know i just did an american flag series so that was intentional to do you know i mean each each stroke 100 percent um it's just the different strokes I'm trying to achieve because I've got, you know, I've got the, the, the two different tires. You know, I've got the, the back tires. I've got the front tires. The tires turn different when they're bald. I get a different stroke with that type of tire and with the torque and the speed of the wheelchair. And being that it's on hard surface, I can slide the tires in such a way. So then, you know, a lot of the paintings are a work in progress. I mean, if I'm doing like an intentional, like I just recently did a kind of a beach scene, sunset, with a palm tree in it for a t-shirt for a sports camp. Well, that was very intentional for that, you know, that, that, that type of a, more of a realism abstract, but it's the, the other abstracts I do is just, I mean, I let the canvas speak to me when it comes to the color and the amount of strokes. And I mean, it could be anywhere from one layer to 50, 60 layers. Um, but, you know, I've, I've been real blessed as far as getting the technique of the chair down so that, you know, it is not, it's just not happenstance. It's not just hoping something turns out cool. Right. That would aesthetically look, you know, appealing to the eye and, and move you in such a way. You have a plan of attack, so to speak. I've got a plan of attack, absolutely. You know, as I'm, as we're talking, I'm just thinking, like, this relates to Slash. This relates to Stephen. I can see how you're friends. So I'm just curious to see if this is how it's going to you know, the play out as far as, you know, like your, how you, your plan of attack to painting and whether it's uh, Slash's attack to guitar playing as he was noodling around or does he have a plan in place and just the ability to, you know, when, when, when life really just slaps you in the face and, and, uh, and how to just continue forward. I mean, I, I don't know the uh, stories or, you know, if you discuss these things with Steven, but uh, I, I don't know. I kind of like try to build it as a story. So I'm just letting you know what I'm thinking before we reach that. Just I, right. I just want to kind of you know think out loud for a moment. Uh, so when were you first noticed as, as uh, an artist? Because there are plenty of artists out there. 
it doesn't mean it's all good. So, but how do you get noticed and, and to get noticed by such, you know, like Joaquin Phoenix and, and these A-list uh, celebrities? How do you get noticed? You know, that, it, thank God for Joaquin. Uh, huh. I mean, just, that's where it really all started. I, I just, you know, I, I I would set up a studio in a warehouse where I was selling wheelchair accessible vans when I first started painting. That's where I did that very first two paintings with the dog. And then once I realized, hey, I can paint with the tires of my chair, I'd ask my boss, could I set up a studio at night? But I'd have to take it down, you know, before the morning, you know, before we came in there and did business. And then I got a house in 1999, and I was remodeling the house, and I was having guys drywall the garage, not telling them it's going to be an art studio, not telling any of my friends what's going to go on, because a lot of times your friends will try to shut your dreams down. They do Not intentionally, and some intentionally. There's haters out there, but there's, but not even, you know, just not, nobody thought, nobody realized, okay, I really had the desire to paint. But once I realized I started to paint with the tires of the chair, I mean, I was intentional to eventually get out of the business of selling wheelchairs and, and become a full-time artist. So I built the studio and then I could, cause my, my canvas, my, I'd have to tape a two millimeter piece of plastic down on the ground, about a nine by 13. I put a canvas on top of that. We tape on that, tape that down with, multiple layers of tape and rows and so that the canvas itself is on the ground. So when I put my boards on top of that canvas, when I roll up the board, the canvas laying on the ground would then take some of the paint off my tires wow. before I start to hose it down. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't stain the cement is what I'm thinking. But so that's how I put the canvas down. So I built a studio and it was in 1999, started building the studio, moved into the home in 2000, the, uh, May of 2000. And that's when I started painting on a daily basis, when I'd come home from work. I could be working on three to five paintings at a time. Once I had about 32 paintings completed, people kept asking, why do you paint? You don't, you know, you're not doing art shows. Why do you keep painting? And I'm thinking, well, you know, while I'm in my studio, God's kind of speaking to me, reminding me, hey, remind, remember that second grade teacher that used to have you paint backdrops, you know, for, for the classroom at uh, things going on in the classroom for Christmas play, Christmas uh, season. Remember the one teacher was having you making backdrops for the plays, for the, the class plays and stuff. He said, I was preparing you to be this artist. So once I got those 32 paintings, you know, it was kind of an unorthodox way, but I would go to, um, I would go to different galleries and, and, and try to show my art. It was, you know, some would say absolutely not. And, and it would have nothing to do with me. And then, uh, you know, someone would just say, no, we don't got time. We don't take submissions that way. And some people would be, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at your art. But um, a lot would not. So, you know, I kept going to galleries in L.A., Culver City, Santa Monica, you know, which is a fair distance away from my house. And, I, you know, I kept driving by a, a gallery right here in Calabasas, right by my house. And I kept thinking it was a very high-end gallery, but I never thought they would accept my art. So I just said, you know, I'm going to go to this, art, this gallery. It's close to my house. So I went in there. The lady said, yeah, sure, bring your art in. She took a leg and looked at it, and she said, you know what? I really like it. She goes, I'll be right back. Walked to the back room, grabbed the calendar, said, all right, let's pick a date. And it was sometime in July of 2005, I believe. And that was when I set up my first show. I mean, all 32 paintings were in that show. Hmm. And uh, so they, they, they put out postcards and whatnot. And it was right during the time that movie Walk the Line came out. Okay. And that's when Joaquin Phoenix was famous for Walk the Line for that movie. 
and he happened to show up at my show in tennis shoes, T-shirt, and jeans. Picked out two paintings and walked out with two that night. Well, it got me into a newspaper and was able to, you know, give me a little notoriety. And it also allowed me to cut that article. So he came by, so it got me into the newspaper. So I cut that newspaper article out and uh, it allowed me to take that to other galleries so I could say at least, you know, look, I, I have sold some paintings. And those two paintings were selling for $1,600 a piece. So it was a, it was a fairly decent price tag. For a gallery, say, okay, yeah, especially if they're taking 50%. So I was just really blessed that he showed up, purchased two paintings that day. And it, really, that was the big boost that I got. Did he help utilize? Did he just see your, your gallery or did he get to meet you beforehand? Like, how did that? I'd met him through a friend and I told him, hey, I'm going to have an art show. And he said, well, um, he gave me his number, text me or call me, and I forgot to call him. So when he showed up that night, he came up to me and said, hey, Tommy, look, I told you I'd be at your show. Hmm. And you forgot to call me. <laughs> very kind, yeah. So, you know, it was just it was just really, really kind of him. Oh, you know? oh that, that is cool. Very cool. Wasn't, yeah. uh, I like that. I think uh, Joaquin is going to be, at least it's a rumor, because uh, we need another superhero movie. Uh, the new Joker. I've, I've heard that. Wow. I think he would do a great That'd job. Be great. Yeah, no, I like him yeah. as a, an actor. Now, after hearing that story, not like I really ever heard anything too bad about him, but uh, I like him as a person for doing that. So then, how did uh, did Slash come about? I mean, because again, there's a lot of great names: Elton John, Ringo. I mean, those right. are A-list among A-list. But uh, I mean, right. we, we have time; we can get to those stories. But of course, it's a GNR podcast, and you know, I'll, I'll see you out and about because a friendship formed. I'll see you at the uh, Classless Acts uh, show, you know. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we had um, London Hudson. Uh, his first interview ever was on the show. Was it really? Yeah, oh, yeah. I uh, had both uh, London and Nico on, so I'm definitely rooting for those guys oh, big time. Yeah, they're, they're good kids. They're, yeah, I've known London since I was a young kid. I, when, I, when Slash purchased his painting, I delivered to his house. That's how the, that friendship really evolved. Oh, okay. I delivered to a painting. You know, Slash and show up my show, much like Joaquin did. It was another show that I'd done downtown. We had met randomly through another friend. Um, I told him about the show. He and his wife had shown up, uh, Pearl had shown up at the time. And, uh, and then he ended up purchasing a painting that night. And I, you know, I told him I would deliver it. So I delivered it. And I remember showing up there. And London was just a kid. He was riding his little BMX bike around <laughs> the front yard in the driveway and stuff. And, he went up and into my van and down the ramp of my van, into the van, down the ramp. So I did a wheelie <laughs> in my wheelchair. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, <laughs> later on, I ran to Slash. He said, Tommy, ever since you did that wheelie, now, now London's trying to do wheelies on his, his bike. You know, and, and Slash used to be an amazing, and is an amazing BMX bike. Sure. Uh, that's what I was thinking, too. Like what The connection, what you, you know, you grew up doing and what unfortunately led to your, your accident, that's what Slash... You know, was going to become a professional BMX uh, rider until he, you know, discovered the guitar. Right. So yeah, oh yeah, you guys were destined to be friends. Well, yeah, he was, he was amazing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's yeah, that's how that 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 whole friendship started. You know, and then the friendship with Steven started. You know, I know his, his brother Jamie. Okay. So I got introduced to my brother one day, and then he introduced me to Steven, and Steve and I just hit it off. I mean, Steve and I probably talk on a daily basis. Mm. The last couple of years, he's just a sweetheart of a man. He's just he's just a good guy. Um, his work ethic, much like Slash, I mean, it's like anytime you see Slash backstage, 
um, prior to a show or anything, he's, he's on that guitar. He's just still just rehearsing, playing, watching cartoons, whatever. It's just, <laughs> which really just it, it speaks to me. It's like, wow, it, it, it's great of a guitarist as this guy is, great of a drummer Steven is. They're still practicing eight, nine, ten hours a day if they can. And it's just their passion. It's like, you know, so it just gives me more drive to spend more time in my studio saying, so, you, know, you know, it's 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 all not for nothing, you know, and it's, it's I think, beautiful to witness. I think it was London who said that his dad still gets nervous before shows. And to hear that Slash gets nervous, it just makes me feel better about myself. So I know what right. you're, you're, you're talking about. If someone of that caliber can still be practicing and... Uh, you know, get get the jitters before a performance when they've already quote made it. I mean, it's just it really it it says something. Uh, so then, what have uh has Stephen uh, or or Slash have said like why like what stood out about your paintings that drew they drew them uh, to it? Or was there anything maybe just the, the artist behind it? You, because um, the paintings are still they're cool. Regardless, but was there anything specific right. that they said? Oh, I like what you do here. Or the one was kind of a snaky pattern. Okay, sure. Colors in that show that Slash chose. That makes it's sense. Also, kind of like the shape of an S is part of it. And I think the I think it was the darker colors. He was choosing between two different ones, and he definitely was drawn towards the darker colors and the, and the snake skin looking the because the, the the tires do can throw. It's kind of like, either look like a snake skin sometimes. Or a um, sometimes a reptile skin or a, a spinal cord. It looks much like a spinal cord. It's really odd that it would look like that. But hmm. uh, the tire tracks throw down that type of a, an imprint on on the canvas at times or on the, on the boards that I paint. Yeah, so I think it's darker colors. Um, and uh, that's what it, I believe it was. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. How, how did uh? Because I mean the names are too big, and you know, not like anyone's gonna. Dismiss the story because it's not specific GNR, but how did Ringo and, and Elton come about? Because again, those are Ringo, as A list as you can get. Ringo does not have one of my paintings. He's been to my shows. Oh, okay. Not one paintings, but has has worn one of my shirts. Okay. Elton, that was actually a commission through his lead guitarist, Davy Johnstone. Davy became a good friend. Davy's daughter used to work, uh, be was like an intern, like a. And, and was one of my, my favorite assistants uh, in my studio. Uh, when she was still in high school, she would come over and help me out with the studio a lot. We'd do a lot of painting together. And, and she just recently graduated art school from Parsons in New York. But uh, then we'd do live paintings together. I did a lot of shows where I would do live painting. And her and I would just work really well together. And her and her father, father I were good friends. So um, he, he wanted to uh, commission me to do a painting for Elton. And, and that's how that came about. And then I did met Elton at uh, a couple times backstage when David would invite me to the show. And then I uh, ran into Elton one the other time, and he was really, really kind to me. Came up to me at the, um, the Go Scene Gallery. He was there a couple of years ago for their opening they do every year, right around um, uh, Oscar time. And so he's, yeah. Very cool. Really, really nice guy. Yeah, to have a... a painting in his collection i mean you know I get, then I get phone calls later on because there's two he's got actually two of the paintings and then uh get a call from somebody from his offices back in england want some more details on it too so that it could be properly uh, documented in his collection and, hmm. and insured properly and stuff it was 
he's got, I guess, a private gallery that's built to one of his homes. <sighs> Absolutely amazing. What an achievement. Yeah. Uh, going back to, of course, uh, Guns N' Roses and Slash, and you said you've been friends with him for a bit. So were you friends with Slash before the reunion happened? Oh, yeah. It's been over 10 years. All right. So then wh- what do you think about where we are now? Did you ever foresee you know, your, your friend rejoining the band that you know made him that he became famous with did you ever foresee this happening because you know i not really i mean i was always hoping always hoping you know because i i i like i i started going to rock and roll shows back in the 70s you know so my very first show i ever went to actually was a chicago america concert nice and then i would i went to california jam too i can't even remember all the bands that were there you know ted nugent and uh um uh, foreigner um, different bands I've been to plenty of Who concerts you know my dad used when he had, had back before Ticketmaster when the, the LA Forum was the, the hot place for the concerts as it is again now I uh, knew a guy who used to sell tickets there you used to have to pick up a phone and call down there you could only get six tickets at a time well the guy really enjoyed steak and lobster my dad was president of a place called the Hungry Tiger Restaurants at the time before he had the Calabasas Inn and this guy used to come in and worked at Ticketmaster. So my dad was able to pick up the phone, say, hey, can you bring me six tickets to such and such show? Tommy wants them, and I'd, I'd get two for me and four for my friends. I wasn't smart enough to up the price. but So he would come in, pay for the tickets, get a, the dinner. So I, I, I was able to go to so many shows and some great seats at the L.A. Forum for so many years, you know. ELO, um, mm-hmm. I saw the... Uh, um, who else? Uh, Super Tramp. I mean, I, I for some reason just come to a blank right now, but just tons and tons of shows, um, which was, you know, got my rock and roll on early, you know. Like I said, I went to Cal Jam too. Driving <laughs> to that. I like it. In the morning. And also, let me ask, because uh, I know it's a little different. I, I've only started to utilize this, the, the handicap pass. I mean, not just for parking, but as far as seating. I mean, for me, I, you know, I the only time I was in a wheelchair was I think a couple winters ago when I I broke my I, I never broke anything before in my life, uh, but I broke my ankle getting a cookie from my refrigerator in my own apartment because of that. You, you, you want to talk about extreme sports, Tommy? You ever get a cookie from your refrigerator at midnight? <laughs> Come on. So I, I I don't know. It was just a weird, awkward fall, and I just don't have the balance or crutches. So I was in a wheelchair then, and get it's just so. I mean, I don't need to tell you. And I thought I was handicapped. I mean, I am, but it's so okay. cumbersome in figuring how to, to to plan your day. It's it's even it's the simplest things could so difficult to go from point A to point B. Now with just my cane, certain seating where elevators, I have to be aware of. You know what the weather's going to be like. Is if it's raining, is it going to be slippery right. everywhere? I'm I'm prone to falling. So is any of this. Yeah. Uh, come about uh, you know for you or is it or do, am i just making more of it than it is because i'm just no you know what it's more pain in the ass than it is now wheelchair seating used to be okay because you used to have to before a lot of the ada compliance uh you used to have to just in order to get tickets like say at the hollywood bowl you used to have to go down there not i mean even if i was physically in the wheelchair show my handicap placard and show that it was mine to purchase tickets mm. or we could do them over the phone i would have to fax a copy of my placard in in order to get those tickets. Right. Um, 
Now, because of the new ADA, you can't ask a person if you're really disabled. I mean, I look to my left, I look to my right, and all the handicapped seating. There may be one or two other people I in know. a wheelchair. I know. Out of hundreds of seats, you know, it's it's just sad. It's ridiculous. Um, That's the thing. You know, when I would God. order, when I would order tickets for Not in This Lifetime in both uh, Madison Square Garden and uh, MetLife Stadium, I just would click handicap seats. And yeah, I would show up and with my brace and a limp. But there are, and this yeah. is also a true story that people would think I'm faking because I'm only 34, and there are people who think I'm right. just walking like a pimp. I've had cops thinking like I'm faking it to get out of a ticket. I'm not kidding, but right. I, I could have I could have taken advantage, but uh, I didn't. But I, you're right. I look around and it's yeah, it's it's just difficult. So I just wanted to know you know your process for uh, you know right. for it well as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's cool because I also wanted to ask you about uh, what your first concert, uh, uh, what your first concert was, and like what your your mindset is because I, I, I know because you maybe you just became like a Guns N' Roses fan just because like oh my my buddy Slash is so nice I'm gonna root I'm gonna you know support him. No, it was back in the '80s when I broke my neck like in '85, mm-hmm. and um, I remember when I moved from LA to Culver City. It was right when I got turned on to the, the, the Guns N' Roses for some reason right around. So the eighty, the, it was right after eighty-five. I got turned on to their music, but around eighty-seven, I think I moved down there. I was playing that Appetite, wearing the thing out. And my mom, uh, there was just certain songs that were just speaking to me in the disability for some reason. You know, that was just were giving me motivation to keep going. Um, and that and some Chili Pepper songs. <laughs> I remember that right now. I just thought about that. There were some of those that just. Um, kept me going. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, same here with for me. Just depression, some of it der- uh, deriving from a disability, other for a variety of reasons. But yeah, it's Guns N' Roses, of course. Why I'm doing the podcast. I'm a huge uh, Chili Peppers fan as, as well. So, do these conversations come up with with Stephen now? You say you talk to him pretty much daily, and he seems to be in a good place now. Uh, I've had the fortune uh, of uh, interviewing his new lead singer, Constantine. I hope I do get to interview Stephen one day. And I even put out, you know, some feelers to, to Jamie because I know what it's like to defend your brothers. I'm the oldest of four bro- uh, boys. So just like how this conversation with you, I like to talk about GNR from all perspectives and not just, uh, you know, let's talk about the – uh, the gossip or just the music itself, but just right. talk about the human, the humans yeah. behind it. So, uh, but it's he seems to be in a good place. And I'm, I'm going to play this this clip here. This is a uh, I guess going back before when we were talking uh, GNR, the Shotgun News with Vinnie Paul, and it's just it goes to with ties in with Steven and just you you just never know when when life is just going to either end or. Uh, if you want to talk about with us, where it, it, it changes physically, so things are just going to be different. Uh, so this is what Vinny had to say in uh, this was, I think, that uh, meltdown interview back in uh, 2016. Saw him the other night at uh, the big gigantic Jerry World here in Dallas, and I thought it was amazing. You know, I would really love to see them be able to get a uh, Adler back in the band, and of course Izzy. But I've seen Guns many, many times, and I'm telling you, man, this is the best. I think I've ever seen Axel, man. He is really spot on. He's really singing great. And, you know, Slash doing his solo thing for so long, he's always had his chops up to par. So it's great to see those two really at their A game with these songs again in 2016, man. 
So again, that was Vinnie Paul, the, the late and great Vinnie right. Paul, uh, talking about you know what's going to tie into this conversation. You just never know when life is just going to end, and these five guys may not potentially be able to reunite. And it seems like Stephen. Yeah. I mean, does he? Do you guys talk about that? Because uh, again, I've gotten I've gotten to talk to uh, Chips enough about it. Uh, who's close friends with Stephen, uh, with Alex Grassi, uh, but it just seems like. He wants this so bad, and it's great that he had oh, these absolutely. these one-off shows. But why do you think, yeah. if you if you can, you know, speak for anybody or just your own opinion? Why is this not happening? Is it a health thing? Is it a personality thing? You know, because uh, he's struggled I, too. I don't think it's a health thing. I don't. I just don't. I don't know why it's not happening. Because Stephen wants to be there more than anything. Absolutely, he'd be there if they picked up the phone right now and they said, "Hey, come play." You know, it, it was tough for him just to do the shows where it was just the one-offs where he'd only play one or two songs. I know that was very tough for him because he's like, especially if he flew all the way to Argentina for one song yeah. or so. But yeah, it's, I, I don't know. You know, you just never know. It could be a management thing. I, I don't know. But it's, you know, I, I do know that Steven's ready. And Steve would actually say, oh, absolutely, 100%. Um, I mean, is it great the way it is? Absolutely great band, but would be better with, Stephen and Izzy, oh, 100%, it'd be the real deal. Yeah. You know, it'd be great to see next year if all five could be back together and, and, and start a whole new tour. Mm. Come back to America first, please. <laughs> Plenty of LA shows. Yeah, no, uh, I hear you. Uh, no, I would love to see that, you know. I mean, Slash is probably one of the hardest working guys I'd ever met. You know, even, you know, I know that he's just been recently working on the Bell Revolver stuff. I'm, not, no, I'm sorry, but the. the but, um, with Miles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not breaking news. Yeah, yeah. That's, not, that's not breaking news. No new Velvet. But yeah, it was Slash with Miles Kennedy yeah. and the Conspirators. Yeah. Miles. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. No, it's not Velvet Velvet. But you know, this like, yeah, which I think that's a great band as well. I mean, I, I went to plenty of those shows and I'll go to plenty more. Anytime to get to see Slash play is, is it just, it's just so motivating for me to watch a guy, you know, that, is at the top of his game, but just still practicing and working at his craft and, and never satisfied. I mean, not be satisfied, but I mean, just wanting to get better and just going at it. It just, it just gives me hope for me, you know, it's just, it's, it's just beautiful to witness. And it's, uh, so that's great. Cause he's, you know, he's great. coming from a dark place yeah. and see where he's at now. And, you know, that's why I'll, I'll look at someone like you, Tommy, and I look at you where, you know, like I know my limitations, but I just don't think my limitations. I mean, I hate to say it like this, but c- compared to yours, again, I can move certain things. But I'm at, you know, I'm I'm handicapped. We all have different levels. But do you right. do you look at people that it's like, hey, you guys can get together now. You can find happiness. You're given an opportunity that hey, Stephen can still physically play. You know, these things can still physically happen. You you know, you don't have that opportunity to be like, hey, I can still reconcile and 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 do this this project I've always wanted to do, you don't have that option. Does you, do you ever get annoyed at being like, you know, come on guys. Like you, you have the ability, you have every physical ability to get this done. Yeah. Cause sometimes I, I look at it that, to be honest, I'll be like, you know, and I, again, I, I'm not as worse off as, as some other disabled people, but I still have it. Right. But I'll, I'll say, come on, you can, yeah. there's, there's time. You know, it's a different. I feel like I have a different perspective on things. Not to sound like an yeah. like an elitist. Oh yeah, I, I think it's more than just the physical. I mean, 
I mean, just you just don't know about all the personalities behind the stage. You well, know? yeah, the mental of, of going. Maybe that's why I said to you before how quickly it seemed like you're like, hey, you know what? Screw this. Yeah, I know. I have all. I, I can't. I can't move to put it crudely. But I'm, yeah. I'm gonna. But I'm gonna move forward regardless and do all these things and you yeah. so quickly. And that's something I admire and I wish I would be more like. It takes me a while to get off my ass and to do something. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I, I don't know. Sometimes I look at these guys and like if. Come on, like Vinnie Paul just died, and all right. these guys just and, and just to see the joy and the happiness of Slash on stage, Stephen. Even though those few opportunities, how big that smile sw- yeah. was, and where he came from with uh, from the depression. Yeah. So maybe, like maybe with you being a, a man of of faith, do you ever have those kind of conversations with him? Do you help him? Or does he? Is he a shoulder for you to talk to, or is that like, oh, like a buddy buddy thing? Oh no, with Steve and I, yeah, absolutely. I help, you know. I, I, I you know, I, I've been, I've been, yeah. We actually have spiritual conversations. Yeah, I, yeah. With with Stephen and I, absolutely. I mean, Slash and I are more of a texting type of a, you know, friendship. Um, and he, you know, we used to talk on the phone, but when texting came around, it turned to texting. <laughs> you know, it just I just think that that's you know his personality. Uh, he's, you know, but he's happy. He's happy where he's at. I mean, career-wise and relationship-wise, I've never seen him happier. It's just beautiful to see him with Megan, and so it's so happy and the smile on both their faces when they're out and about and together. You know, so I think that also played a big part with you know the reunion, hmm. um, where he is in his, in his, in his, you know, in his love life. I think that that played a big part. Hmm. Just, it just, you know, just. It's great. It's great to see, but it'd be better to see them all five together. You know, or at right. least see them behind the drums. Yeah. Well, I you know I've said that I I, I enjoy uh, this version. I've enjoyed past members, but I I've never gotten to see the five. So I would love for that to happen. Right. Did you ever get to see uh, before you I became friendly? Not. No. So no. So how many shows no. have you been to? Were they all on not in this lifetime? Not in this lifetime. I've been to. I was Vegas, L.A. Couple times, um, I think I'm in three, three or four shows. I went to the first show in Vegas. I went to the Dodger Stadium, both those Dodger Stadium shows. Um, the show where Stephen played Dodger Stadium. Okay, I think that was it. Did you know Stephen was going to show up then, or no? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, Stephen and I. Yeah, yeah, we we were hanging around back. I got all kinds of pictures of me and him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank God for him. Uh, <laughs> Slash had already hooked me up. Because when Stephen found out, he said, "He said, old Slash, I got to get, I got to make sure I get tickets for Tommy." He said, "Don't worry, I've already got Tommy handled. So he's already taken care of." Nice. So, but then then when Stephen got involved, this guy, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. We hung out a lot together backstage prior to, and we yeah, we walked around Dodger Stadium. It was a lot of fun walking around. People didn't recognize him at the start, and then people would. It was. It's fun. We got pictures hanging out with, with him, the big statue bobblehead of Tommy Lasorda together. It was, you know, it was, it was fun. I mean, we even walked as far as my van out in the parking lot um, while the people were coming in and didn't recognize who Stephen was. He's just this casual wearing a baseball hat because nobody expected that. Mm, yeah. So, uh, that was a lot of fun to kind of just walk around. I was there for sound check and stuff like that. What? Yeah, that was a magical moment, a magical evening. Oh, you know, and then just. So cool. uh, you know, it was great. Just a great evening. And you were at Classes Acts for a show, right? I was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that was that was all Stephen inviting. You know, Lonnie said, "Hey, how cool would that be if I could get 
London to open up for me, you know, and uh, it was great. It was a great show. Yeah. London's a good kid. You know, I got to go to some of his rehearsals prior to that show and watching that band come together and watch, you know, the very couple different singers they had. And I think they're going to go places. They're, 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 you know, they got a good singer now. They got a good band. They got a great band. I think so. Yeah. I think Derek Day, that's the name of their, their lead singer. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I follow them on, on on Instagram, and I always feel special when uh, London or Nico like my Instagram posts. Makes me feel like you know, like we're BFFs or whatever the kids are calling it these days. So I, I yeah, <laughs> it's, it it is very cool. Uh, well, I, I I hope Tommy that uh, one day. Well, I should say this. One day I gotta get. I keep saying this. So many guests. I gotta get myself out to. To LA, the furthest out. Yeah, if you come to LA, you got you, you know you got an open invitation to come by my studio and well, thank you. Go hang out, go go get a pizza down at the Rainbow or something. Oh, I would love it, and I know you'll have good parking, and you'll always know the best route to go. That's just absolutely. <laughs> uh, to all my friends, like, hey, do you want to go here? I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna ask. What's parking like? Are there stairs? Is there a railing? You know my my spiel, so I know I won't have to uh, to worry with you. Uh, so the best way for people to to follow you, your you know, your to see your amazing paintings and you know your your adventures. You go to a lot of concerts. You meet a lot of cool people. Uh, so it's TommyHollenstein.com. TommyHollenstein.com. Tommy Hollenstein Instagram. Same with the Facebook. But yeah, the Instagram and my website are the best way. Um, follow my stuff. See what's coming up. What's going on. And uh, as far as shows coming up. Awesome. And if you ever want to in in the future, I always offer to, uh, you know, to to guests or even to some fans. If you ever want to come back and, and co-host, perhaps you if you ever want to bring Stephen on. If you ever wanted, if anyone, if anyone that you could think that uh, our audience would like, just like how I told you, you're like, hey, I'm not a musician. Why do people want to talk to me? You have a good story. You have a great story. You're a cool person, and there's a Guns N' Roses hook to it, no matter how big or small. As long as it fits that yeah. six degrees of Kevin G and R bacon, you know, we'll make it work. Okay. But uh, yeah, maybe Steve and I. I'll definitely talk to Steve. I'll give Steve a call later on this afternoon and tell him what's going on and see if we can maybe come back and call us with you. Uh, I would mean, that would mean the world. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you so much. You have a great day. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Brent. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Uh, so I think that was uh, that was pretty cool. I know a unique, a uh, different interview here for the AFD show because uh, Tommy is not a musician. I mean, of course, we've interviewed uh, fans. We've interviewed uh, some forum members, the members of mygnrforum.com, uh, Downsy and, and Russ TCB. So it's not always a musician per se, of course, uh, authors. But this was different, talking about an artist. I thought about maybe having like an artist co-host that could maybe talk to him about, you know, color palettes and I, I you know maybe maybe another time i don't know how deep down the rabbit hole i want to go uh, with tommy as far as that's concerned if anything i just wanted to because he seemed like such a positive guy and he was and we're all we all go have something you know whether me and my uh, neurological disability mixed with my chemical imbalance i'm just a fucking happy mess <laughs> or what tommy's going through we all got something you know i've had a uh, like Sir Kev, and I'll thank him. Uh, I've got to mention him at the beginning. He was our co-host uh, with Jimmy Ashurst. Uh, Kevin has talked to, to us about some of his trials and tribulations. So we all got something. But what brings us together, especially here? Guns and fucking roses.
That's right. So that's what the show is is all about. All different stories, all cool stories that somehow surround uh, the orb of, of GNR. And that's kind of le- going to lead to these uh, next episodes. And we, we were doing a little bit of, I guess, like topic discussions at the beginning of this podcast when it was uh, Scotto and I, uh, politics, uh, just different viewpoints and things. And then, I don't know, the, the interviews kind of snowballed. I guess was not expecting to be able to talk to some of the people I've been able to talk to and interview and 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 share with you. So I kind of just got so focused on okay, who's the next celebrity interview for a while. But there are there have been some things going on in the GNR underworld. I guess we can refer to it as uh, that I think deserves some some radio time because like what is this podcast? Is it just interviews? But it's interview discussion. Uh, kind of, I, I don't know. I want to make it like a radio news programy. You know, it's a radio station. Just again, Guns N' Roses is the nucleus of it all. So uh, there have been stuff, some stuff uh, going on with uh, some of the fan YouTube channels. Uh, I think we're going to have on some. Uh, I guess we call them former owners of these YouTube channels because they're getting shut down. So I think there's some uh, maybe like 60 minutes. Is that a universal uh, reference? 60 minute kind of stories. Uh, not literal 60 Minutes, but the show 60 Minutes, where we uh, dive in, we do some deep dives into some topics, what's going on, try to find the the, the truth, the real truth to things. Uh, so we'll have on, uh, I think, some a couple uh, former GNR uh, fan channels on YouTube, you know, what's going on there. Uh, and also there have just been, you know, the, the, the GNR universe, I think, it's going back years, and I'll, I'll kind of go back to when I was talking to, uh, when I mentioned the discussion with Downsy uh, and Russ TCB from my GNR forum, you know, what it's like building an online internet forum with with, with fans, for fans in, in today's day and age. Or I think it really helped um, uh, the conversation that we had with Steve Rochelle from uh, Metal Sludge, you know, just how the internet has evolved over the years when in regards to music and, and some of the personalities that come out and create themselves online and and Guns N' Roses the underworld of Guns N' Roses uh, has some of those characters and have been for for quite some time so I've been doing some investigative research trying to talk to the right fans to get some stories out there that have been online for some time but I think now with this vessel of a podcast whatever you want to call it I think we, we're going to try to do some reporting on on some of these these stories, these things that are happening in our our GNR universe, because I think they're going to be entertaining. And I think, yeah, that that might be the best uh, uh, goal I think for this podcast: entertaining you, regardless, you know, as long as it's attached to GNR some way. So uh, look forward to that. Um, you know, still plenty of of guests. Uh, in mind to talk to, uh, I believe we're, we're going to talk to you again. Um, oh, I, I mentioned before uh, Squires and Jeff Rouse. Uh, hopefully talking about the charity event with the upcoming Loaded show in September. Just don't know when we're going to schedule that. Uh, I know the last time we spoke to uh, or I spoke to uh, Roy Orbison Jr., uh, he said, you know, he'll give me a heads up, you know, a few weeks before he's in New York because he wants to come in studio. So that's going to happen at some point. You know, uh, I know I've, I've spoken to Roberta Freeman about possibly bringing on a friend at some point. You know, these are just things up in the air. So just so you know, 
if, if I'm a little quiet sometimes on our Facebook, facebook.com slash the AFD show or Twitter at the AFD show, I'm still working behind the scenes. You can always send me a message. All right. And just find out what's going on or, you know, your feedback, your two cents. I'm pretty, uh, you know, I'm pretty reachable, I think. So uh, in the meantime, please uh, follow and subscribe as this concludes episode 70. So you can always uh, find us on uh, the iHeartRadio app, on Spreaker, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud. I believe in even still on, uh, on iTunes, despite some people's best efforts. Oh, and before we get out of here, and I wish I could remember the fan's name, but you'll you'll know. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, this was regarding the conversation that Sir Kevin and I had about... Uh, a recent interview that Steven Adler did, and that was when Steven was talking about how at one of the shows in Australia, he's looking through uh, what he thought was the booklet for the box set, and he didn't understand why there were so few pictures of him and Izzy, and there were so many of the, quote, newer band. Uh, and I, I didn't know about that report. Kevin brought it to my attention. Uh but that's what Steven said. However, and again, I, I wish I can credit the, the listener uh, that was at the show that Steven was showed the booklet. The booklet was a VIP booklet for Not In This Lifetime. So, of course, it being a recent tour booklet, it's going to have the recent band in there. So, Steven got you know confused, miscommunication. You know, I, I, I really highly doubt there's any sort of ill will with that. It's just, uh, you know, sucks when sometimes a misinformation is spread. But uh, I appreciate uh, those of you who, you know, who reach out and do it in just such a way, like, hey, you know what? Actually, this is this is what went down. This is what happened. And you know, if it's something that happens on my show, I'll correct it just like this. I guess uh, forgive me for not remembering the fan's name. Um. And, and, yeah, just follow, subscribe, and, and tell your friends. We're getting new listeners all the time. I'll just shout out this one listener, uh, Shane, who was listening to a lot of their, our older episodes for the first time, and I felt like I was reliving it. He would listen to episode 40 and give me his thoughts after. You know, and I, it was just cool how you guys can go back and listen and still enjoy, um, well, now 70 episodes at the AFD show. When is 71 going to come down the pike? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.